Come on. So who's ready to end this service and go eat? <laughs> oh, I've got some kids raising their hand in the back. Very good. Oh, it's very encouraging. Oh, man. Well, this morning, uh, little, I guess the American tradition, those of you who have kids or those of you who have one time had been kids, wake up in the morning on Easter Sunday and look, don't be afraid to talk or respond to me. I was about to say talk back. That's usually a kiddish term. When you wake up in the morning on a Sunday, uh, Easter morning, what typically do you find in your living room or in your, your living room? Easter basket. Easter basket. Yeah. What's inside the Easter basket, Adam? Chocolate bunnies. Uh, uh, what else would you have inside of them? Some that Cadbury bunnies. Oh, yeah. 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 My absolute favorite is the uh, peanut butter gold bricks. Everybody got excited. (laughs) Y'all think y'all hungry now. I'm going to do this all (laughs) (laughs) day. But, you know, it's 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 a tradition. It's something that we've always done. And synonymously within America, Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, not anybody else, right? Okay. And I always wondered, you know, similar to like the Christmas thing, did it really just get more commercial as time went on and we attached a Jesus name to it, what all that was? Well, trust me, I'm not here this morning to debunk Easter. In fact, I had four baskets for my kids on the coffee table this morning, and for breakfast they had chocolate and milk. And not chocolate milk, chocolate and milk. (laughs) And then we sent them to Chilton's Church. <laughs> so I, I am absolutely for finding every excuse to celebrate my king. Oh, yeah. We come here twice a week, uh, sometimes more than that, in the the heart and the spirit of his name and who he is. We come to be encouraged. We come to encourage. We come to celebrate who Jesus is. And it just so happens that this one particular day of the year, we exalt. Uh, and really magnify and focus in on the fact that the grave is empty. Hallelujah. Now, the grave isn't empty just one time a year. It's empty all year, every year, thousands of years. Well, the the tradition that we have built uh, influences heavily what our culture is, right? You begin to see roughly, I mean, they're taking down Christmas stuff in stores, and they're putting up Easter baskets and Easter candy. Right. Oh, I'm sorry, wait, wait, Valentine's. 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 Don't wear white after Labor Day. <laughs> so after Valentine's is done, immediately after it's replaced with Easter candy. So, I mean, what we see is really a small microcosm of our commerce and how an event, a holiday, impacts the entire nation. Uh, you guys are pretty familiar with uh, Google Earth, right? right? Or searching a map. Well, whenever you do that zoom out feature on Google Earth, you begin with your house. Is everybody wants to see your house? Well, you begin to zoom out, and it, it literally my heart begins to palpitate, and I lose my breath because I did not realize how small my world really was. And just within a one-mile radius here in Sugarland, you have two Walmarts, two Targets. Two of basically everything. It just depends on what, what direction you take on Highway 6. Well, we, we see the volume of dollars and people that go through these stores. And a lot of it is, almost every single bit of it, is directly connected to the holidays that are in our season. Now, let's start with the first of the year, right? Kind of go through, uh, say, New, new Year's. That actually is the first of the new year. We have New Year's and you know, a bonfire or a celebration the night before. And, you know, people go to the store and they buy all kinds of food and stuff, and nothing is wrong with that. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever been to a bonfire in my house, we are all about the food. Yeah. And it's packed on. Yeah. Especially when Trace Leche cakes just go like yeah. nothing. Somebody might as well just take, pick up the pan and dump it out and put the pan back. Yeah. So you get January 1st, you have that. You have Valentine's Day, Easter, July the 4th, uh, Labor Day, Memorial Day, somewhere before that. Uh, Halloween. Halloween. 
Thanksgiving, Easter. I'm sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. Thanksgiving, Christmas, My, mine is on Easter here. But, uh, you know, Easter is sort of like uh, a pseudo-Christmas. You're waking up in the morning, you're running downstairs, and you're looking for some treats. Uh, that's kind of the way that we treat it. None of these really seem interconnected. So, if I go back to John the Baptist, he's beginning his ministry, he's out in the wilderness area, and he's baptized, calling people, repent for the kingdom of God is near, and people are coming and being baptized as a means of uh, a mikvah, a washing or renewal of their covenant with God, all of a sudden he sees Jesus approaching. Now granted, they're, they're cousins, right? Whenever uh, John the Baptist was in the womb of Elizabeth uh, and Mary came in her presence, uh, it says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit and kicked in the womb. How awesome. That's a friendship from pre-birth. Awesome. So what you have is uh, these uh, feasts that occur seven times a year. Now, what's hard for us to understand, because our holidays are not connected, is that all seven of these feasts are connected. Now, let me jump back to the, the American tradition here. Is anyone familiar with what, how the day of Easter is determined? Well, Jesus, <laughs> man, he got me. It, it's 40 days after Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. 40 days not counting Sundays, right? Well, look, not picking on a particular church, but do you realize that the setting of a holiday, naming mainly Easter, and for the southern part of Louisiana, the crawfish industry is dependent on the Catholic Church setting these days. They basically control the way that we, we buy and sell in that fashion. Well, I know that from looking at other things within other churches, I mean, you really come into ours and say the exact same thing, is that you, you take on traits of what the patterns that you see in the Bible. Well, imagine Israel did not exist for over for roughly 2,000 years, short, shortly thereof. If, if you haven't seen me in three months, what do you assume? I'm at a buffet. No. <laughs> I'm dead. You assume I'm dead, I'm gone. Well, now, imagine that for 2,000 years, you do not see the nation of Israel. You see people that are remnants of it and still hold some of the tradition, but you see them as weird and, look, y'all are just a busted people. You no longer exist. Well, imagine that time span. Yes, it's absolutely normal that you all all of a sudden assume as a church, as an entity, that we have replaced Israel. Bad Israel, they rejected Jesus, we're taking their stead. But all of a sudden, in 1948, boom, they become a nation again. What do you do now? We, we've now had the opportunity to live you know, roughly 60 years, 62 years, with this nation being in place. And we have an identity to relate to. Now, these colors, white, silver, and blue, automatically comes to mind Israel, especially when you see the Star of David. That did not exist prior to 1948. So whenever the Catholic Church was putting these things in place, this was way back. We're talking about like maybe the, the 700s, maybe a little bit after that or before that. But the bottom line is that they took a pattern that they saw in the word, but not to be confused with Judaism. They altered it just a tad. They say 40 days, you know, 40 is a beautiful number. It's a number of a generation of man. Uh, not necessarily the long, longevity of life, but by the time you have another generation coming behind you. You have 40 days uh, Jesus spent in the desert, led by the spirits he spent in the desert, right? 40 days, 40 nights, Moses, uh, I mean, not Moses, I'm watching NBC <coughs> Noah was on the ark. Well, 40 is a beautiful number. So what they did is said, okay, 40 days without Sundays, and we'll call that, that's the time period. You do the math and it falls out perfectly. So what was the pattern they were looking for? I'll show you exactly. Oh, sorry. Was already on. There we go. Jewish feast. 
uh, he had the first month, and would never eat. Israel was leaving Egypt. The Lord said, this shall be the first month for your calendar year. It may have fell in July or whatever else, but this is the first month. On the 10th day, you're to select a lamb. On the eve, or the, the between the settings is what it means, meaning that the sun is now at noon and beginning to fall, beginning to set, completing to set. So between the settings, on the end of the 14th, uh, you were to slaughter the lamb, the Passover lamb. The 15th began the first day of unleavened bread, and then it does not give a specific day, but first fruits says uh, in Leviticus 23 that it begins the day after Sabbath. All right, so from the first day of first fruits going forward, you count 49 days. Well, it's 49 days plus the one day, the first day of unleavened bread is 50, and that's where we get Pentecost. But the 49 is the thing to, to focus in on here. You have 49 days between this sacrifice, this burnt or this burnt offering you would make before the Lord. And then the way the Jews viewed it is that Shavuot or Pentecost was the time when God gave his word, his Torah to Israel. The first was a liberation out of Egypt. And then it built, it culminated, all these tied together. It's not like looking at Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and, and uh, Valentine's. Those, I mean, really, none of those really have an interconnection, not like this. Because when you partook of a Passover lamb, meaning that you, I was going to bring some video, videos, YouTube videos, but y'all may not want to eat lunch afterwards. But, I mean, you have a lamb, and they all, they hold their neck up like this, they take a knife, and they rip it across, and blood is poured out on the ground. Who is who's here seen the most recent Passion of Christ? Is that easy to watch? No. no. It's gripping. It's supposed to be. That's exactly the way that God's tradition mandated to be. Because it would be impressed on their heart. It would be a burning image in their mind. That they would see this lamb, see his throat cut, fall on the ground, and blood all over the place. Now, what you did with that lamb is that you took that blood with a hyssop branch, and you painted your door. And guess what, what the, the design of painting it was? Pop, pop, pop. Looks like a cross to me. Mm -hmm. You hit the three frames of your doorpost. Mm -hmm. Then you were to shut your door. And it literally says, gird up your, uh, your cloak. That's what you would do as if you would run. So me and Steve, we would roll up our pants past our knees. <laughs> But you would, the idea is that in the original setting with an event that did happen is that they were in Egypt. The tenth plague was about to happen. The, the, the majority or the Jews were living in the land called Goshen. It's a suburb of, uh, <laughs> within the ruling nation of ruling city of Egypt. And they were to eat this lamb in haste. It had to be a one-year-old lamb without defect. And from the tenth to the fourteenth, they were to study this lamb and make sure it did not have defect. You know how many days Jesus entered into Jerusalem before being crucified? Four days. The 10th, 11, 12, and 14. The last examination was done by the high priest, Kephas. Well, when you went, went back to the Egypt scenario, when you killed this lamb, you ate him in haste, you also ate it with unleavened bread. I have vivid memories of walking uh, around Christmas time, <coughs> walking into our bathroom, and it was hot that Christmas. South Louisiana, sometimes you can get in the 70s on Christmas time. And there was the heater was on. I was going, oh my God, this is horrible. And so I opened the door, and uh, all I see is this, this basket with a towel over the top. And I'm going, what is this? Now open up, and it's this big white pus ball. And I was like, oh my God, I'm growing an alien. I think gremlins had just come out. So I thought it was one of those little, you know, mogwai that had got water on it. And it was turning into a gremlin. Well, I go back out and I ask my mom, I said, what's going on? She said, what do you mean? I explained to her. And she said, oh, your grandmother's making bread. It, it has to rise. You take the dough, the flour, and the water, 
you add a little bit of yeast, and you put it in a warm, humid environment, and it rises to make something big and beautiful. But it takes around <coughs> seven hours, eight hours to do. So that, that's a long period of time to wait, especially when God told you, you know, do this thing tonight, leave. You don't have time to let your bread rise. Mm -hmm. So the lamb being eaten with this unleavened bread, connection. Then you already eat it with bitter herbs, mm -hmm. with something more like a horseradish. It, that's exactly right. The, the look on Elizabeth's face was, oh. <laughs> Cody has a wonderful story. Ask him about wasabi. <laughs> he thought he treated it like it was, uh, you know, salad dressing in one bite. <laughs> Immediately you lose your breath and tears begin to run down your face. That was the exact reaction God was implementing in Passover. He wants you to partake of this land of sacrifice. Now, Take the sacrifice. Eat unleavened bread. You did not have time for it to rise. And then also partake of the bitter herbs. God was delivering you out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. Mm. Whenever you get born again, you feel free. But in that moment that you're being set free, it's pretty natural to cry. Because I am finally let loose. Sin no longer has a hold on me. Now, once you partake of that lamb, it was seven days uh, after that uh, that you were to participate in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the first day, so if I look back up here, at this point, you, you killed the lamb. You ate the meal. This day was to be considered a Sabbath-type day. You did no regular work. You rested just as you did on Sabbath, something that John would call a high Sabbath or a special Sabbath. From that point here, seven days out, you participate in unleavened bread. The last day, so the seventh day, was a Sabbath as well, irregardless of the weekly Sabbath that happened. So, unleavened bread. Now, let, let's just pretend uh, this doesn't necessarily happen true, but this happened in the, the middle of the week. Uh, I don't know, like a Wednesday here. On the end of Wednesday, you participate in Passover. Uh, Thursday was going to be the, uh, oh, where'd you go? <laughs> uh, just to clarify real quick, Jewish days begin and end at what time? 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Very, very key note to remember. Our day begins and ends at what time? Midnight. Differential of time is? Six hours. When you're reading the Gospels, keep that in mind when you're looking at certain times, especially John versus the, the other three uh, uh, synoptic Gospels. They're about that time period off. Okay, so we have this day as a, a high Sabbath, and then it rolls right into, let's say, another Sabbath. So I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, you have, uh, I need to scroll down. I think it's in here. But you have a, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then the first day of the week. So that would be um, the beginning of Passover this Eve. That would be Friday would be considered a high Sabbath, did no regular work. This would be a weekly Sabbath, no regular work. This would be the day that you would begin your week on. So technically, as per Leviticus 23, you would start first fruits on that 17th day. From that 17th day, you would count out 49 days until you have Pentecost or Shavuot. Uh, coming back to more of our, our culture here. Whenever you count from Ash Wednesday to Easter, it's 40 days, not counting Sundays. When you do count Sundays, it's 47. But how many days does February have in it? Jews operated on a lunar calendar, 30 days. Now, sometimes alternating in some months, 29 and 30. But how many days short is February of a 30-day calendar? Two days. 49 minus 47 is? There's your 49 days. 
They took a pattern that they saw in the Jewish nation, saw themselves as replacing it, did not want to appear being Judaistic, so they altered it a little bit and said, oh, we're not going to count Sundays. Ta-da. There you have Ash Wednesday, or really Ash Wednesday, all the way out, and Easter would fall on the, in this case, the seventh. So it's not to look at our own culture and go, oh, they missed it. You know, they're just copying what God is trying to put in place. They're wrong. I understand sometimes the true heart and intent of trying to get it right. But you cannot mistake, this was God's original plan. This is the plan that he is going to fulfill when he returns. It's the feast. If I lay out a pattern for you to follow, and let's make it real simple, musically here, right? I give all the people up here chords, the exact notes to play, and say, this is how I'm going to play this song from beginning to end. It's all interconnected. Here are the lyrics. If somebody takes that song, revamps it, tweaks it a little bit, changes the notes, maybe even the keys and some of the words, that's a different song. This is the pattern. Whenever you're reading the word, no matter what part, and something seems confusing, it maybe conflicts with your doctrine, it maybe conflicts with the pattern that you grew up with, go back to the word. What is the pattern that God laid out? And th this wasn't the first time. You see a lamb, a one-year-old lamb, offered again and again and again. In fact, it existed before the law was even given to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai. The first sacrifice ever recorded to been have made uh, as a, an offering of man to God, not a covering of sin, but of man to God, was Cain and Abel. And Cain brought him one of his livestock. Doesn't exactly say it, not that I know of, uh, but I can bet you it's probably a lamb. Okay, so we have Passover, we have unleavened bread, we have first fruits and then two shavuot. Now, unleavened bread, and I, I, it kind of came out whenever uh, I was talking earlier. Unleavened bread, whenever you celebrate, you went through your house. And even today, traditional Judaism, you take uh, breadcrumbs and things with yeast in it, you sprinkle it purposely in your house, and really, more specifically, in hard to reach areas. Now, ladies, I'm not very proficient at sweeping behind the door. If, if you, if you, you know, vacuum quite a bit, you know exactly what I mean. I'll vacuum, vacuum, vacuum. The door to the bedroom's open. Got that little triangle, that's the triangle back. Oh, uh, that'll be all right. Nobody see that. I'll come right back out to another room. No, no. It drives, it drives a, uh, someone crazy if you don't get that. Well, what you would do is go and sprinkle in those kind of areas where people just really are not obviously looking. Then, during the, uh, the Passover Seder, that, that afternoon or that evening and night of the 14th, you would, you would have everyone in the house go through the house and gather this leaven. Now, outside of what Jesus said about the kingdom of God, leaven is e equal or equated in the word to sin. But here's more of a completion and joining of what Jesus said. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like leaven. So it takes a little bit and it works through the whole batch. It spreads rapidly. Well, it seems to be conflicting at first. You have leaven as sin, but also you have leaven as the kingdom of God. Which one is it? Well, it's actually both. Primarily because the latter part, the second one about the kingdom, it's written in red. Jesus said it, so it's, it's true. But what you would have in the lamb of bread, you would take all the gatherings, all the findings of this leaven, you would make it into what we know now as like a matzo ball. And you would make it into a ball, wrap it in the cloth, and you would throw it into the fire. It was the best way to preserve that, or to make sure that no one was going to use that old yeast, that leaven found inside your home. Mm -hmm. Then what you would do, after this uh, unleavened bread, you would make, uh, you would take new leaven, and make a whole new batch to work with. So let's equate it to something that we're used to, right? Let's say Tony Sachery's. Love Tony Sachery's. I sprinkle it on everything, and it makes everything absolutely wonderful. 
It can be sin in some cases if you have high blood pressure. But it can't be the kingdom of God if you're throwing a party. So imagine going through your house, taking everything, sweeping the floors, and finding every bit of Tony Sasseries in your house. Right? You even take the can that it originally came from. You put it all in the bucket, or I'm sorry, all in uh, some paper in a bag, and you throw it in the fire. You burn it up. Then once the piece is, is coming to a close, you go and you go to the store and buy a whole new can of Tony Sasseries. Something new to start over with. This is the exact parallel. The sin, the bondage, the slavery that you had in Egypt, you to collect and present before the Lord and let his fire burn it up, consume it, and let him give you that new leaven of his kingdom. It's one or the other. Both cannot exist. And what you were to do with the lamb when you ate it in haste, you also were to look for that leaven in haste too because you had a minimal amount of time. Deal with sin quickly and swiftly or else it'll grow like that leaven. It's a sad sight to see men of God who were powerful at one time that did not deal with the one speck of leaven in their life and give it 20 years, it has now overtaken the entire loaf. Unbelief about a small area, maybe not trusting God to pay just one electricity bill when you, whenever you had to give it away, can grow to the point where you don't trust God for anything and you have become your own God, making your way and make sure that you're going to get yours first and then whatever is left over can go somewhere else, maybe to God. Sin separates and it takes you further than you want to go. That's exactly what leaven does. The size of a loaf of bread is determined by the amount of time that leaven sits within it. That's the bad side. Let's go to the other side. You take a small principle of God's word and you begin to use it, use it, use it, use it. You give it 20 years, it grows into something beautiful, awesome, and able to be consumed by everyone around you. Amen. You look at Eric Stevens and you go, you know, how is it that he has the faith for that? How can he go to Matamoros and, and face danger, face peril, you know, uh, pistols or something being put in his face? How can so-and-so endure that? One, and, all, and the first and primary thing is that Jesus has enabled them to do that. But the other part of this is that they took a small principle of his word and did not compromise it. They let his word grow like leaven, the kingdom growing like leaven within them. And what you're seeing is almost 20 years of that leaven working through the whole batch. Now, on to first fruits. That's where they were at with this. Uh, I've had a little bit of experience growing stuff in my backyard. Not too much success. Uh, I kind of get frustrated at times when I grow a garden and say, well, I'll just go to H-E-B and pick up tomatoes. <laughs> but, you know, most part of the world even now, but especially back then in biblical times, Israel was an agricultural nation. And, you know, to some degree, you know, we are now. If we experience severe drought and crops fail here in the U.S., um, you know, certain prices go up of commodities. It affects the way that we buy. That will affect oil. That affects home prices and such and such goes on. But more specifically, day in and day out, they went out and worked and tilled the land. They tended to what was going on with their fields. Well, the first one to spring up, this looks like wheat, but it's actually barley. Uh, who's, who in here has ever eaten uh, kashi cereal? Really good, right? That, that's barley. That's sugar-coated barley. It's, it's known as a poor man's wheat because it was the first to spring up really, really quick. Well, what, what the, they were commanded to do is go and reap the harvest, uh, an omer, of one of the first fruits that grew out in their fields. And it was barley. Now, after an extended period of time, well, I'm sorry, they would take it and wave it before the Lord. In fact, let's turn to Leviticus 23. Yeah, how, be sure I never preach a message without opening the word. Yeah. That's the street ministry because I know they don't have Bibles. Leviticus, Leviticus. 
Yes. 23, verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring the priest a sheaf of the first grain of your harvest. That's barley. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord, so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. We all know that through uh, Paul and several other mentions in the word, that Jesus is the first fruits from among the dead. He was the first one to raise out of the ground, just like barley, the first one to spring up and give fruit, a testimony of the abundance that was to come in the future. And then what would happen is that he went and presented himself to the Father in heaven as a wave offering before God so that he could be accepted on your behalf. So that whenever you come to him and you lay your life down at his feet and say, Jesus, take all of me. Take my sin. Take this weight. Take this burden. There is an acceptable uh, item to pay and ransom your life. Because Jesus offered himself as a wave offering before the Lord so that you could be accepted. Christmas, the sales of Christmas usually determine the outcome of the next year, right? You always see the quarterly reports and stuff. And it, in some regards, it's somewhat accurate. The same way it would happen here. Whatever would, you would gather as your first fruits from barley would determine how the rest of your crop crops are going to go. And more particularly, the ripening of, of wheat. Now, after Jesus rose again, he stayed on the earth for 40 days giving convincing proof of his resurrection. Roughly 10 days before Pentecost, he meets with the disciples and says, wait in Jerusalem. Does anybody know why he would have to say, wait in Jerusalem? Three times a year, men were to appear before the Lord for a feast. That means come to Jerusalem. That was uh, Passover, Pentecost, and Yom Kippur. They were to assemble. Well, it would be fairly easy to say that after uh, Passover was, was, was over, that they would return, do, perform in first fruits and unleavened bread and then go back to their home, but then turn right back around you know, 40 or something days later and come back to Jerusalem. He said, no, don't go anywhere. I want you to stay here. Now, uh, let's just imagine that you have a city like Sugar Land. And a, a radical man had been preaching controversial thing that made a political upheaval, even to the point where they publicly executed this man in town square. And all of his followers were hiding up in an upper room. Why weren't they out in public? They were afraid of the Jewish leadership. Now, those of you in foundations meetings, we've gone through this says they were afraid of the Jews, but they were more specifically afraid of the Jewish leadership because they were Jews. I'm afraid of myself. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what Jesus asked them to do is be in an uncomfortable place. Be in a place where you're vulnerable. Be in a place where you can be persecuted and shamed for my name. But in doing so, you're going to wait for my power to come to you from on high. Everybody turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Skip a little bit further to chapter 2. We all know this pretty much by heart. But what begins to happen? 
A strong wind blows through this upper room. 120 are assembled because they're fearful of the Jews. They're fearful of persecution. But they still obeyed. <laughs> they stayed in Jerusalem. And God begins to fill them with his spirit. Fill them with his presence. So they could properly, properly represent the full characteristic and, and personality of who God was. They received power from on high to be his witnesses. If I look back at the feast, let me go back here. If all of these are interconnected, would I, what would be the fulfillment? Or would there be a fulfillment if I just stopped after I crucified, or I'm sorry, killed the Passover lamb? If I just stopped right there and said, no, you know, I, this is good enough for me. You know, the, the lamb has uh, purchased um, my blood, or per, his blood has purchased me. I'm now free from Egypt. Uh, I'm good. That's all I really want. What if that leaves you still having to deal with sin in your own household? That still leaves you with having to partake of the first fruit of who Jesus is. And then culminating into receiving his power on Shavuot. Shavuot, or, or Pentecost, was the celebration every single year of Moses bringing down God's requirements to them. It was like us receiving our Constitution and Bill of Rights and Declaration of Independence. We all hail Paul Revere as a great hero, and he was. He set the alarm, the British are coming, and he wasn't talking about the Beatles. <laughs> He was talking about invaders, people that would put them under slavery. And that was a single act of being delivered. But other things had to happen. At this point, it was almost like a year of jubilee. They were set free. They were ransomed and taken to God as his own. They were finally an independent nation with a governing set of rules. That's not a burden. That's a freedom. That's life. That is life. If you look at the word after you're born again and you say, my God, that's a burden. How can the world can I read it? I don't understand it. How do I live it? You need to look at the progress. Have you gone through the feast? Have you let his blood wash you one? Have you let him go through your heart and through who you are and gather up that old leaven, gather up Egypt inside of you and put it in the fire and let him give you that new batch of, of the kingdom of God is leaven? Have you let his first fruits, his resurrection, be a part of who you are and that your hope? And then receiving his law, his, his spirit enabling you to look into the word and see his power to be a proper representation of his people. Have you gone through that process? Because trust me, if you stop here, you're denying yourself the benefits of everything after. You stop at unleavened bread. You miss the hope of being resurrected with Jesus. The cross is beautiful. It is wonderful. We will talk about it, and in some form or fashion, we'll put one up in here. But where our culture, maybe not everyone else is here, that's usually where people just stop. Yeah. I can't stop at the Passover lamb. I can't stop at unleavened bread. I got to continue on all the way into Shavuot yeah. to where his law comes down from heaven and enters into me. And I fully understand what God wants from me. Isn't that everybody's cry? Yeah. You're here. You're sitting in this building because you want to fellowship. Because you want to know what does God require of me and how do I need to carry it out? Yeah. Well, if you're not able to experience Shavuot, you're going to have a very hard time understanding what that is. Salvation is here with the Passover lamb. Continuing to, to remain in God's kingdom, continuing to be saved is a requirement of going through unleavened bread and remaining as part of his people. Shavuot is a, is a symbol of being empowered to be his people. It's not a requirement for salvation. Let me just make that very clear. Galatians 3 says, you are sons of God through faith, through trust. Mm -hmm. But let's just put this out there here. If you begin at some point in your walk to trust Jesus less and less and less, 
trust me, you have the ability. You are in danger of reducing your trust to the point where it does not exist. And I've seen it happen. I've seen people give up Jesus because they could not have what they wanted right then and there. What they wanted was good. What they wanted was to be this great man of God that would be a prophet to the nations. I wanted to be this missionary. I wanted to marry this person. But because it didn't work out their way, in their tradition, in their line of thinking, they gave up the Passover lamb. Do not want to. Go to Hebrews 10. Quick, man. There's so much good stuff here. I <laughs> say 10, I want to go all the way back to 1. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, let's go to 9, verses, verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then would the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse your consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. More importantly, so that we may serve the living God. One way or another, you're going to serve somebody. One, You will serve a God if it's not the God. You may not be aware of it. Go through your checkbook. See where you spend your money. Keep a timeline of, of where you spend time. Where do you spend your time? Is it encircled or engrossed or is it in a consuming way of serving Jesus and I just don't mean like coming and vacuuming floors here but what I mean is every day of your life every second are you longing to spend time with him one on one on your own you know, Matthew 7 meaning that they will say to me Lord Lord didn't I didn't I clean the church didn't I sing on the worship team didn't I do mission work? Yeah, you did. Jesus said, mm, go away from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. If someone only worked for you, uh, like when we make it someone more specific, Bob, you had a guy that come to you and says, look, I need a job, uh, but I'm only able to work two days a week at best. Uh, sometimes I have a bad habit of only just coming to work three times a year. <laughs> What would your answer be? I wouldn't hire them. I'm sorry we have no positions available for you this time. <laughs> How much more does the king of kings require of us or want from us? Jorge, you and Irma are about to get married. Yes. If she said, nah, I can only see you three times a year, <laughs> I'm not sure about this. How much more does the God of heavens require of me? Amen. How much more intimacy is he longing for? This entire structure, this tradition of the feast of the Lord were designed to bring intimacy. The end goal was not to show you, hey, you were a slave. No, you're free. No different than we told Adam and Eve. You are free to eat of any tree. You're not in bondage. Unleavened bread was to be a means to say, let me show you how to get rid of sin in your life. Not to point out sin, because the end goal is that he wants to take that sin and burn it and give you something totally new to work with. You know, first fruits, he doesn't want to prove to you that he can raise from the dead, but you can't. He wants to be a source of hope that no matter what trial you go through, you're going to be resurrected. 
I don't care. I'm pressed but not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned. And then in the very end, the Shavuot, that his word, his requirements, his uh, declaration of independence and constitution, defining you as his people, is bringing you into who he is. That's exactly what a husband does with a wife. He takes her and he grabs her and brings her into his household as his own. She takes on his name and his cover. Let's go to uh, Deuteronomy 6. Y'all found my notes online, didn't you? Yeah, there. Yeah, there. I meant online in heaven. This is not where I wanted to go. Very good. Anyway, isn't it written? Um, <laughs> uh, there were four cups given in Passover, and directly correlating the four aspects of what God was doing with the nation of Israel. Uh, the first cup was given as a means of setting apart, sanctifying. So literally, if I have harmonicas right here, right? And not, not to demean you, Steve, but Steve has put his mouth on every single one of these. I'm not going to put my mouth on every single one of these. But I see one that I need to use, that I like, that I, I need for this specific time. I will take it, set it apart, wash it so that it's ready for use. The word sanctify means that exact same thing. You're taken, up, taken out, you're set apart for God's use. You're made clean for his use. You would have a cup, and during the Seder, you would participate in this first cup with the symbolism that God has set you apart. God set Israel apart from Egypt. And he did so beginning with that Passover lamb. And there were nine plagues that happened before the, the Passover. And can you imagine the smell in the area? where the river had turned to blood and the dead frogs and dead flies and everything else. Now, it directly coincided with God conquering the gods that Egypt worshipped and showing that he was the superior God. You see that really beginning with the Moses' staff eating the snakes or the other guy's staff. But, um, but Israel was being set apart. The second cup, he was going to make you clean. He was going to make you clean. Re, the word re, redeem means to buy back, right? If I get a coupon to go to Kona Grill, I will redeem my coupon. Because when I receive that coupon, I'm already tasting sushi in my mouth. <laughs> it's mine. I just don't possess it yet. So I will go to Kona Grill, I will give them my coupon, and I will take my sushi to be my own. I will sanctify it. <laughs> I will make it clean. I'll put ginger and wasabi on it. Yeah. They'll be ready to go. I'll baptize it in soy sauce. <laughs> then the next cup. <laughs> the next cup would, have, would symbolize the pledge of a new covenant and promises that were to come. That not only had he set them apart and, uh, when they were captives, not only had he redeemed them, but he was going to make a new covenant with them. And a covenant exists in parts. Uh, a blood, blood had to be shed. A seal, and very similar in marriage. This is a sign or a seal showing that you have participated in that covenant. covenant. And then there also be a promise. Something similar to, I don't know, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's actually found in the Older Testament 
before Jesus says it. He's echoing something that was spoken to Israel. Mm -hmm. And lastly, he will put, you have the fourth cup, and this is the cup that Jesus said, no, nope, I'll drink this one anew with you in the kingdom. There's a cup of restoration where God would finally make all things new. That in the interim time, he was going to send his spirit to dwell with you, on you, within you, whatever you know prepositions you want to use. But he was going to be there. Just like when we worship, when we stand here now, when you're going to the grocery store, when you're brushing your teeth, he is there. There's no, there's no heart's cry like a cry that says, if only someone, someone were here with me to go through this. There is. Wake up. Jesus is with you. If that's not good enough, then you got some serious problems. He's alive. He's out of the grave. He sent his spirit to be with you until that last cup is, 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 is partaken of together. The full restoration of all mankind. And because mankind is the head or was put in charge of the earth, then all of the earth will be restored as well. You know, is, is anyone familiar with uh, Gnosticism? Gnostics? The heart of Gnostics was that this world, literally this dirt, is corrupted. And anything that touches it gets corrupted. Therefore, we want to be like the immortals and guilt go away from this planet and the things that corrupt us from this world. The Jews saw it totally different. When they participate in the feast, they're thanking everything. They're thanking God for everything that comes out of the ground. Mm -hmm. That God's eventual plan is to take earth and make it an inheritance for those that are meek. Now, if I said it the other way around, like in Matthew 5, the meek shall inherit the earth, it's going to la, 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 la. It goes right through your mind. But if I say that God is preparing the earth to be a, a huge check, a, like a lottery check to give to you because you submit it underneath him, it takes on a totally different meaning. It's not to be done away with. Um, Ezekiel 36. Let's go there. Right next to Luke? Yeah. Uh, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> now, in, in Acts 2, you have the 120 getting filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, on the day that tradition within Judaism and, the, and what God gave nation of Israel, they would read the law of Moses. They'd read from beginning to end. It was celebrating God giving his word, his instruction, his declaration of independence to the nation of Israel. And on that day, the 120 were assembled and they were filled with God's spirit. Mm -hmm. Now, were they filled with God's spirit just to get goosebumps and say, yep, I experienced that once? Mm -hmm. No, they were empowered to be his witnesses, to be his examples, to be the little Christ. But more specifically, it was to fulfill and continue to fulfill, even now, Ezekiel 36. Let's start in verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. When you study the four cups of Passover, this absolutely echoes everything those four cups say. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove 
from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. When you're born again, you're not just turning a new leaf. You're burning that leaf and becoming an entirely different one. Mm. You are a new creation. Whenever Paul says, I think it's uh, Corinthians 5.17, 2 Corinthians 5.17, uh, all things have passed away and all things have become new. The Jewish imagery is that leaven. They're an unleavened bread. It was taking that old lump and burning it and starting out with something totally new altogether. 27. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The whole reason that Jesus was sending his spirit so that the Spirit could remind you of everything that Jesus said. More specifically now, He will remind you of everything that you put in front of your face that is His. Yes, that's right. If you don't have a crescent wrench, He can't ask you to go use a crescent wrench. And that, that absolutely applies to me. I'm sure if I, years from now when I listen to this message, I'm going to go, oh my God moron you missed this and this and this what are you doing because I got to spend more time in this word putting it in front of me so that when I'm being moved by the spirit when I'm speaking his words and not my own he has something to work with give God something to work with yes. Yes. That's right. the goal is from within those feasts is that these first four would typify you being uh, brought out of captivity you being sanctified and washed, you being redeemed and eventually restored and empowered to be his people. You know, we sing, I'm proud to be an American, and I absolutely am. But I will sing a song that's above that, far and beyond. I'm proud to love Jesus. That is my identity. Paul says to clothe yourselves with Christ. In some regards, I think about that. When I, when I hear about the Bloods and the Crips in L.A. They clothe themselves with the identity of their gang, and therefore they represent their gang. Mm -hmm. I represent Jesus' gang. Mm -hmm. I wear his colors. Amen. They're actually red. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and blue and purple and a couple other colors. Yeah. But the, the entire focus is if you want to understand what God's tradition is for today, today being Easter. Look at the foundation. And yes, men and institutions have got it wrong. But let it be something that, that sparks a fire inside of you. Let me go find out what's right. A beautiful thing I've been doing recently is uh, learning Spanish through Rosetta Stone. And what they do a fabulous job of is they don't go out and teach you, basically this is how you don't say it or these are the incorrect ways of conjugating verbs, they just show you what the right way is. I was telling someone earlier, I don't need to go out and read the Quran first before reading the Bible so that I understand, oh, well, the Bible really is true. No, you study the word first, and then automatically you'll pick up what's not true. I'm sure when, whenever I begin to learn more and more Spanish, you know, as I go and speak to other people in Spanish, they will correct my grammar, they'll correct my speech, because they have done it right for so long. Not because they've listened to people do it wrong for so long. Y'all mm -hmm. see the difference? Yes. Um, the, the last thing is, this is kind of really follow up on what Steve was preaching on Wednesday, is that repentance precedes power. That's right. And when you look through the feast, you see that aligning or partaking of the Passover lamb is an admitting that death is imminent, it's on its way, and that you need something more than what you can give to cover you for that. That's the first part of repentance. Then it's going through and examining your own heart, examining your own life, and make sure that your sinful life from the past is not there. The next step is clinging to the hope that God is going to resurrect you. That's right. It's now moving from death into life. That Jewish day began at what time? 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Usually it gets dark. 
uh, 6 p.m. As you progress through the day or through the night, you move into day. When you look at the Passover feast, you're progressing from something dark, death, coming in and moving into light. And the pinnacle of light being when he pours out his word through the power of his spirit. When the law was given at Mount Sinai, 3,000 were slaughtered, I mean killed by Levites because while Moses was away, they built for themselves an idol. They began to worship that idol and rebel against God, rebel against Moses. So 3,000 of them were killed right there on the spot. To see the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36 that we just read, when Peter stood up and said, wait a minute, guys. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. You see them getting filled with the Spirit. Each men or each man from surrounding countries and languages were hearing these people speak in his own language and watching the power of God fall on these people. He said, no, they're not drunk. They're not just babbling. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. And he preached to them, and 3,000 were saved that day. God's promises are rested within his feast. It's always been there still there. So when you were looking at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, well, let's study what, what, what element did God put in place? What's the standard that we live by? Or that we, I'm sorry, we study the word by? Whenever we're looking at how do you bring somebody into Jesus? How do you lead them into Jesus? The feasts are a perfect example. What did Jesus tell the woman caught in adultery? Go and sin no more. She received the Passover lamb. She recognized what her old leaven was. She put it at his feet and he burned it right there on the spot. And he said, go and sin no more. Take hope in who he was. Everybody stand to your feet. You know, her the heart cry for revival is almost a constant thing. Even in our own lives, we say, wow, man, I wish I could just really see somebody raised from the dead. I wish I could experience somebody, you know, getting healed and a brand new leg just popped right out of their knee. <laughs> or these miraculous signs and wonders. Remember this every time you have that thought. Repentance precedes power. That if you're looking for revival in your life or in somebody else's life, it will not occur until there's repentance first. You've got to deal with that. you got to partake of the lamb. you got to get rid of sin. you got to cling to the hope of the resurrection. And then look for his spirit to be poured out. Otherwise, it's greed. Mm -hmm. Today, we're going to have a baptism. A baptism for Larissa. Mm -hmm. Larissa has partaken of the lamb. She's yes. gone through her house Amen. and gotten rid of the old leaven. And she's even uh, participated in the outpouring of his power. Yes. We had an awesome time Monday night. We call it foundational prayer now <laughs> until Eric gets back. But it, it, it was, the I say typical in a sense that uh, whenever you begin to be open and honest about God's power and being filled with the Spirit. Uh, people get drawn to what you have. Mm -hmm. And at the very end, she said, you know, uh, actually, Alicia came with her and said, she just has a few questions about this speaking in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we sat down and, you know, I tell everybody, you, within 45 minutes or less, you can go through it in the Word, and it's, it's obvious, it's for today, it's for you. Uh, so, what you want to do? <laughs> And uh, at first I was thinking in my mind, I wonder, you know, let me go pray for her in private because she may be kind of nervous about doing this. I said, wait a minute. She's talking to me about this in front of everybody else. She's more than open. So we all gathered around her and we prayed for her. And I could feel Jesus moving through these steps in her life. And I, I mean, as led by the Spirit, watching, watching her, Jesus wash her with his blood, cleanse her of the, of the leaven, and then filling her with his power to be his people.
You said you had a testimony, right? Come on, share it with us. Change of one life at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all ready to go outside? Yeah. yeah. Let's make our way. <laughs> 